When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me. I'm Tracy Harris, and this is At Home in My Head, the podcast that explores life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. I think most of you know that I'm a big fan of learning through example and through admitting and examining mistakes. I'm a fan of collaboration and openness and bravery when it comes to using mistakes to do better, my own or other people's. If we can't acknowledge our mistakes, we can't learn and we can't correct course. We can't improve, we can't do better. I sometimes use the lessons that I learn as a basis for sharing them. I learn, and I figure if I don't know a thing, there's probably some other people who also don't know it, and they could benefit from my mistakes or corrections or from the lessons that I learn from myself or others. When I use examples from real life, I try to be respectful. I reject the vague book style of passive-aggressive communication used to take swipes or digs at individuals. But I support sharing learning if we come to a realization from a real-life situation that gives us an opportunity for improvement. Sometimes we have a conversation, or we hear a conversation, or we read an article, or we see a quote, or even some random comment on a post. And it leaves us with something to really sit with and dig our teeth into something we go to bed thinking about at night and wake up wondering about in the morning. It haunts us because we know there's something in there that we don't understand, but that we need to understand better. Recently, I came across a situation where someone was called out for an oppressive act. In this particular case, I'm also in the oppressor community because it was tied to racism. I want to point out that the best way to understand racism is to immerse ourselves in the communities we racially oppress to get a better understanding of how to do better and what racism looks like. As a white person, my opinion really doesn't matter, and the best I can do is assess it from the outside based on what little I know about the opinions I've been privy to on the inside. I certainly can't tell anyone they aren't racist but I can know if I have ever heard about a particular issue from within the community and why it's considered disrespectful or harmful to racially marginalized communities. A lot of ink has been spilled on the issue of white fragility, so I won't rehash it here. But I will say that I totally understand that fear of saying or doing the wrong thing as a white person and how it can feel safer to go to another white person to ask these questions. But I encourage my fellow white people as much as they can to follow the feeds of non-white creators that challenge the dominant culture narratives. Don't just click follow and never go back. Get in there, keep up with it, listen, and learn. But on the flip side, at the same time, there's a few things to remember. Racially marginalized people and communities don't exist to serve the dominant culture. They aren't paid to teach us about our own oppression. 
So it's really on us to take advantage of the information they put out publicly so that we aren't putting further burden or stress on our friends and acquaintances or even random people online who are in these communities. They don't owe me a free education after I already have gained unfair advantages from their exploitation every day. And they also aren't here to absolve or exonerate any white person of the guilt that they place on themselves. The best way to get out from under a feeling of guilt is to step up and start meeting your obligation to support and amplify these communities. Most of them don't really care how guilty you feel, because our guilt doesn't help them. Real resources and platforms and support are what helps. Getting people access to real power is what helps. So in this case, when I didn't have a ready answer, it made me wonder about why I didn't understand this issue better. It meant I had a knowledge gap. So I began to Google, and it didn't take long before I found Black community resources talking about this issue and what the problem was. Now, this didn't mean that this was the problem that my friend had encountered, but it was still a problem that I could understand. And regardless of the specifics of my friend's situation, I was learning something. And if they don't know the answer, and I don't know the answer, then I'm guessing we're not the only ones who don't know the answer. The core of the question was about whether cultural expressions of oppression and identity from oppressed communities should be judged by those in the oppressor class, and more specifically, judged based solely on aesthetic sense. It prompted me to write a short story based on what I'd learned in order to try and convey the problem in hopes that others can learn and do better. Content warning from this point to the end of the podcast. This is a short fiction piece that I wrote that centers around the accidental death of a child. If you are struggling with that issue or can't handle that type of content, you should probably terminate the podcast at this point. For those of you who are continuing on, I'm going to read a short fiction piece that I wrote called The Gift. One day, I was out driving. My sister texted me, and I got distracted. It was incredibly horrible timing, because as I was looking at the phone, I didn't see the road in front of me, and I ran over a little boy in the crosswalk. To make matters worse, he didn't survive the event. I guess it was maybe a year or two later when the child's mother showed up at my door. It was unexpected and shocked me a bit, if I'm honest. I hadn't had any contact with the family since the accident. She looked nervous and sad, and she had a small gift box in her hand. I invited her inside, but she said she couldn't linger. She had just driven across town to bring me this present. I held out my hand, but she withdrew the box a little and said she wanted to tell me a bit about it before giving it to me. She proceeded to explain that inside the box was a charm bracelet that she had started making since her son's death. She said that each charm on it had a specific purpose and meaning attached. One represented her sorrow, another her pain. Still others embodied her outrage and violent thoughts, her memories, the love that had been lost, the love that would never die, the trauma she wasn't sure she'd ever recover from, the heart sickness she still experienced every morning upon waking up, the hopes and dreams that were all lost with her son's life, her depression, her tears, and finally, the most difficult and meaningful charm of all, which represented her forgiveness and understanding. All of these feelings and experiences she had endured since the day I took her child's life. 
She ended by telling me that this was her way of giving me back all of the things I had given her that fateful day. She then held out the box to me. I opened it and removed the bracelet. I examined the delicate chain with each of the tiny charms. Slowly, I placed it back in the box and handed it back to her. I told her that it wasn't I didn't appreciate the effort or the talent that went into making it, but it was just nothing I would ever wear because it's not my style of jewelry. She misunderstood me, I think, because she became upset. So I again stressed that she shouldn't be upset because I wasn't saying it didn't show artistic talent or technical skill. I was only saying that from a design standpoint, it just wasn't really me, not the sort of thing I personally like. When she still didn't understand, I gave her an example to help explain. Literally just last week, my sister, who, weird coincidence, was actually the same person I was texting on the phone when I ran down her son, gave me a shirt that just wasn't my color. I told her I'd prefer another color, and she gave me the gift receipt, and I went and I exchanged it. No big deal. But still, this woman just was not getting it, and I couldn't understand why it was so difficult. I finally just told her, it's not about you. It's about me and my preferences. She told me I broke her heart and left. I just stood there wondering why she took it so personally when I tried every way I could possibly think of to make it clear that nothing about my reaction to the bracelet was about them. It was absolutely all about me. But she just couldn't seem to understand what I was saying. That's it for this episode of At Home in My Head, exploring life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay safe, be well, and never stop exploring. <laughs>